politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American Patriots, Minutemen, and Paul Revere's to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. This is Daniel Horowitz, your only independent conservative broadcaster in the house for Friday, end of a long, tiring week, June 5th. It is one day before uh, D-Day, 76th anniversary. Obviously, we'll be over the weekend, so we won't be able to commemorate it then. But think about 76 years ago, our youngsters plotted and schemed the most righteous, greatest takeover of a continent to win it back from true fascism. Today, we have so much of our youth brainwashed, brainwashed into mindless tropes, mindless schemes, one after another after another. And that's really the thing, friends. Some of us don't realize because of this whole smartphone, social media era where you're just hit with one thing after another and you can't think straight. And one side keeps driving a narrative and there's very few people pushing back, asking questions. But even more so, the people who do, there's censorship. And today we're going to ask, what is it that the left is scared of? Why do they fear the truth like the plague, like a virus? See, what's interesting is, you know, I have a lot of passion in my voice. I, I study a lot of issues. I feel strongly about, about a lot of issues. But I've never in my entire career uh, ever thought to say someone's view shouldn't be heard. Uh, this website or platform should take it down or take down a video, take down um, a column or an analysis you know, what we would do is we would debunk it, as we're going to do today. And many days, they, they put out certain phony data and we totally tear it apart and show how the opposite is true. But indeed, the question answers itself. You see, we are very secure in our views. We come prepared. We have our principles. We know it's right. We know that everything they're putting out is the ultimate case of projection and we're going to talk about that when they say, oh, we're saving lives with the virus. They're actually killing more lives. When they say they're protecting black lives by harm, by handcuffing the police and dismantling criminal justice, they're actually killing more black lives than you could ever imagine by giving gangsters uh, basically a free reign. We'll talk about that today. Oh, we're getting justice for George Floyd when in fact they're actually ensuring that you're going to get even less justice. We'll talk about that as well today. So in order for people to believe in this illogical garbage, they need a couple of elements. They need emotion. They need videos. Just show people a video, a snapshot, so people can't look at a broader context. See, if you want to make something a broader issue, a systemic issue, you have to show it's a systemic problem. But they can't do that because they would have to provide that with data and a long fact pattern that stands scrutiny. So what they have to do is have a video, often edited, which was the case of Rodney King, and here too, I don't know if it's inherently edited, but everyone agrees now that there is a missing component of it that will not necessarily prove that they did nothing wrong or maybe even something that warrants some degree of criminal charges, but that paints a very different picture, at least at a, at a systemic level, 
than the, what, what they're pushing out. And I've been putting together this one, one crisis after another. One, you know, mindless idolatry. Social distance, social distance, wear a mask. Ugh. COVID, COVID, COVID. And then we're on to, you know, racism, uh, racial injustice. Bow, kneel, kneel. And, and, and of course, unlike the rebels, the young rebels of the 60s, whose motto was question authority, in this generation, this wretched millennial generation, or whatever the generation after millennials are, whatever slop is thrown in that trough of Apple and uh, Yahoo and whatever phony news is put on their phone, they just lop it up. They come drinking from that trough. So yesterday, you might not have seen this, but Alex Berenson, he was the former New York Times reporter. He's written about 15, 20 books, fiction, nonfiction. Um, He was going to publish like an ebook, which I was thinking of doing, of self-published on Amazon, a book just going over what went wrong with the lockdown and COVID. And I mean... He has been really for one of the earliest leaders in debunking the lockdown pseudoscience. He was extremely thorough, extremely broad, extremely informative. He was doing it even before I started because I was still bogged down on the previous issues. And again, he's, he's a well-accomplished author. Um, he wasn't, he's not a down the line conservative. He's more of an independent type of guy to begin with. He, he, he really opposed the Iraq war when most Republicans and conservatives were supporting it. And, you know, it's not like a book full of curse words or something or pornography, which they would have no problem publishing, of course, but they denied publication on Amazon. They've never done this. Why? Why? Why would you, and we saw this throughout the whole thing. I mean, people writing very scholarly things, people from Stanford and Oxford, weren't even necessarily conservative. God forbid you should be conservative. And they would just censor it. You're not allowed to do this. We've never seen this. You're not allowed to do this. And what they do, it's the same thing with everything. They point to something in a vacuum that has an element of truth when understood in the right context, and they want to take it out of context to push something that is terribly untrue and counterintuitive to the very value they're, they're espousing. So in order to do that, again, they need a very myopic video or imagery, a slogan, misinformation, groupthink, be very quick about it. But then you have to shut down any opposition. You need censorship. That's one of the key elements of how you get away with it. So it's the same thing with, um, you know, COVID, COVID. Are you a COVID Holocaust denier? Right? Because, of course, there's that element of truth. Of course, people, you know, even, even the real number of deaths, obviously they're inflated. But um, people, of course, died from it. Of course, it was a problem. But in what way? To what severity? Who is it targeting? What really is the best strategy? When did this start? You know, all the important questions like, okay, what do you do with it? And the same thing here. Do you think someone should kneel on someone's neck and choke them to death for nine minutes? Well, no, of course not. And if someone indeed did that, yeah, I mean, criminally charge them. But, well, I mean, let's first see the full, full picture of what exactly happened there. 
and who says that had anything to do with race, even in this case, much less systemically saying that cops are no longer allowed to basically arrest people. And what is going on here? And that's why there's the censorship. You're not like they're 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 shutting people down. Like no one wants to be caught trying to to insinuate that they don't you know sympathize with ooh all this injustice. But like whoa 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 let let's slow it down here. What happened here? And there are very serious problems going on. And I first want to talk about the the specific case in Minneapolis to de- to debunk what's going on there. And then to talk about what's going on at a systemic level of this this push to handcuff the police and say somehow there's a racial bias when in fact it is the ultimate projection, the ultimate case of projection. So it's going to be a lot of stuff to get out today, but you know, let's see how much we can get to. Andy McCarthy has a really, really scholarly, thorough piece out taking apart the criminal charges um, lodged against these cops. And again, he's very clear. I'm very clear. We're not denying that, assuming there's nothing funny, you know, there are some interesting things. It seems like the cop, the main one, the one that was doing the, um, that ultimately uh, uh, had his knee on the, on the suspect, seems to have worked together with him somewhere. You know, there's something a little bit strange there, and, you know, I'm not going to speculate, but that will come out through discovery. But law and policy need to be super technical. They need to be very balanced, broadly focused. Look at, you have to be very precise in what you're doing, and you have to look at the collateral damage. You can't just be like, hey, we need to go all out. I'm against police brutality. I'm against knees. I'm against... You know, just Floyd, 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 Floyd. COVID, 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 COVID. Dude, you wanna, we gotta fight COVID. Go to war about, like, whoa. Okay, let's be precise. What exactly happened? What's the threat? What's the injustice? Let's address it. Because if you go on like a chicken without a head, you're actually gonna create more collateral damage. You're gonna harm more people, including the very people you're claiming to protect. That was the lesson of coronavirus. That these bastards who lied to us not only killed more people and destroyed more lives through the solution with lockdown, but it turned out that because of the panic and the way they did the lockdown, they actually killed more people in hospitals by driving more people to hospitals which have a greater viral load, viral load of the virus, and got people who weren't sick initially sick. And number two, in the fear of the need to free up bed space, they sent people into nursing homes and likely killed 40,000 more people that then would have died. So where's the compassion there? That principle that you guys have learned so deep in such great detail, and I've been blessed to be a part of a small group of people to expose this, it is true of every issue because it's coming from the same place and it has the same agenda. Ask questions. Whenever you see sudden things, uh, Floyd, 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 uh, cops, uh, justice, and uh, social distancing, social distancing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. When you see like these new things that come out of nowhere and they just blow up, where is this coming from and where is this headed? So yesterday we saw that the Attorney General of Minnesota, Keith Ellison, who, by the way, is a Muslim Brotherhood leader, came out with two things. They upgraded the charges against um, uh, Chauvin, the main cop 
from third degree to second degree. And then they roped in three other people into aiding and abetting second degree murder and second degree assault. Now, you know, McCarthy from day one, like everyone else says, look, if, if, if prima facie what happened is what we see, yeah, I mean, it's, it was certainly wrong and it certainly needs to be criminally punished in some way. But there's something very weird going on here. So first he notices that in the first charging document before the amended one from yesterday, it actually talks about how he fought with them. That he refused to get in the car, refused to, um, he lied down on the ground. And in, in the amended one, it doesn't mention that. I mean, I'm not looking for conspiracies. I mean, this is straight up. I, I, I like everyone else, was busy fighting the corona fascism, so I didn't want to hear a new thing. So I saw a video, I was like, all right, if that's what he did, hang him. Like, I didn't, you know, think twice. But like, so I wasn't even looking for this, but this is straight up. I mean, now they're obfuscating it. Also, every criminal complaint I've seen lists the race of the people that did it, of the suspects. It doesn't have the race here because if it did, one is Asian, one is at least half either African-American or African-American Middle Eastern. That was the guy who worked with Somali refugees. There's a question if the third one might be half Hispanic. Chauvin's the only one who appears to be fully white. So again, like, how do you say that's black supremacy? Which, by the way, this the whole uh, white supremacism, this whole thing is stupid because most urban police departments where most of these like incidents, whether they're right or wrong, most of the time it's BS, occur, is where at least 50% of the cops are not white. Whether it's Baltimore, whether it's St. Louis, whether it's LA, whether it's NYPD, it just doesn't make any sense. So right away, like, you could talk about police brutality, but what it's not is racially motivated. Six cops were arrested in, in, in Atlanta for an incident that I believe is very, very political and very wrong. Two days ago, five out of six were black. Again, you could agree or disagree, say it was excessive force or it wasn't. But that's not the same as saying it was white supremacist cops committing racial injustice. Okay, that, that, That's a different point. So that's number one. Number two, why is that missing? Why is it missing the fact that they struggled? Well, McCarthy answers it. Second degree and third degree are very different, especially in the context of what they're trying to do. And what he basically says is this. Here's uh, Andy McCarthy, his latest piece at National Review. While the point may be subtle, this is saliently different from the theory of third degree murder, i.e. depraved indifference murder. In the latter, prosecutors would concede that it was lawful in principle for the police to subdue Floyd, but argue correctly that their manner of doing so was recklessly indifferent to human life, causing his death. Okay, and that's, that's, I think, what everyone kind of saw. Right? I mean, you could say what you want. This guy should be hung. He should get the death penalty. Look, welcome to my world of dealing with Thousands upon thousands of criminals that do the most heinous things to people and they get third degree rape, third degree assault, third degree murder. I mean, this is part of our system. And I think there are things that do need to be reformed and updated to be made stronger. I'm glad people suddenly, you know, discover the super technical nature of law and why, you know, often it truly undercharges people. But the reality is, if you apply the standard, this would be no more than third degree murder. 
By contrast, the new felon, I'm, I'm continuing with McCarthy here. By contrast, the new felony murder count spearheaded by Ellison, the radical leftist state attorney general, puts police on notice that they can be charged with a crime, felony assault, for doing their job, which re- routinely involves physically restraining suspects who resist lawful commands. Right? And what he notes is that basically they have to create a theory of intentional murder and felony murder. It's not just a second degree, third degree. It's it's a different animal. It's, you know, one is just indifference to, you know, his suffering. So that would go after the manner and duration to which they did what they did. And, and that's fine. We all agree. Like, if you have someone, you're like, you know what? I'm pissed off at this criminal. I'm just going to take my hands and just choke him to death. Well, no, you can't do that. But what you also can't do is like, I'm going to go all out against police brutality and you can't restrain. Well, whoa. Like, you do understand. Most of these guys are really big and really strong. They're on drugs, as this guy was. They will, 95% of the time, they do not cooperate. They every step of it with a handcuffing, then they'll throw themselves on the ground. They won't get in the car. What do you want them to do? Now you tell them, well, you don't have to put your thing on his neck for nine minutes after after the struggle was over. We get that. But that's the point. That's not what they're doing now. This is what happens when you have mob justice. So what McCarthy rightly points out is that just like they did with COVID, I mean, he doesn't make that analogy. I am. But this is what they always do. When you go all out, there's no precision. It's mob rule. It's it's a political agenda. It's not justice. You're actually going to wind up getting the cops acquitted because <laughs> you cannot prove that. And then you're going to have the collateral damage of 99.9% of times when cops are, are indeed justified in what they're doing. That's all going to be criminalized now. And you're going to have so much murder and mayhem and no deterrent. And of course, the people who will be killed the most are black lives because they don't they, they do not matter. Only politics matters to these people. And that's why he, McCarthy explains why you're seeing that they had to take out the struggle with the police. Because if there was a struggle, then you can have second degree. It could be no more than third degree. Because they were totally justified. It was just like at some point it went off the rails. Whereas if you say like, you know, he was, you know, totally, you know, walking fine to the police car and Chauvin just like lost and just threw him to the ground and just started choking him. Well, that, 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 yeah, that could be second degree murder. But that's not what happened as they admitted at first. So that, so, I mean, that is very scary. I'm sorry. I mean, I don't know these people. I have no love lost for them and this guy, but like. For all the talk about how there's racial injustice against blacks, it's not true. It's the other way around. There are so many places in this country where you can't convict someone who's black, but it's not true of someone who's white. Because there's very few whites in this country that view themselves as tribes. It's the other way around. And and, and they'll look at the evidence and, and whatever. Whereas here, you will have people railroaded. Like I say, that cop in South Carolina. Not only is there no evidence... That um, what he did a few years ago was certainly racially motivated. It's really not clear he did anything at least criminal. He got 20 years. He was initially acquitted. It was completely trumped up. You know, I believe if you cause someone's death, you know, I'm a guy that thinks everyone should be hung. 
But at the same time, we got to be consistent and have a consistent standard. What, what you don't want to do is to trump up something based on emotion. You know, if we have a terrible rape or murder case that I talk about and the evidence really isn't there, you know, as much as I'm all for hanging people, look, I mean, you, you can't have a mob dictating it. That is, that, that's like Venezuela. That is very scary. And he points out that they're going to get, and, and then the aiding and abetting is just absurd. There's nothing these people did that could possibly be aiding and abetting. Especially because to begin with, you have to be in on a conspiracy. But it couldn't have been a conspiracy because it appears to have started out lawful. and Because he, he was struggling. So by the time it became a criminal activity, he had his foot on his neck. The other ones had nothing to do with it. You could say maybe there was a moral obligation to push him off. But, but I mean, again, we, we never, in any other context, civilian or police, we don't have aiding and abetting charges for that. As McCarthy notes... There are sometimes, to a certain degree, other charges you could have um, as a way of being an accomplice. But not that. And then he notes one out of the four, there's literally no case against, even in the charging document. It just ropes him in. I mean, this is, they're, they're going to have a field day. And, and, you know, two of them, it was their first week on the job. Chauvin was training them. I mean, this was not about race. And this was certainly not, you know, felony murder. Whether you like it or not, that's not what it was. But again, this is designed to feed a mob in this case. And this is designed to target lawful police activity. Same thing. There's a virus. Let's do a lockdown, kill more people, panic, and kill more people from COVID itself. Same thing here. This is the exception, not the rule. The rule is police are are beleaguered. They're under attack. They use underwhelming force. They get beaten up. They lose their lives to underwhelming force every thousand, you know, a thousand times more than than it's the other way around. What they're going to do is destroy policing, cause every city to be like Baltimore, where cops are going to be hands off. And then, and then, even in this case, unless there's no justice. I'm not saying I want them to walk free. I'm just saying, if this is what they're charging, if we are to have an equal, just system, a jury would have to acquit. All of them. Certainly the other three, but but really all of them. If this is the charge that they're going to bring. And you're not going to get anything. And of course, you're going to get more riding. But again, you never, never manipulate a prosecution to please a mob. But of course, if the race is right, price is right, race is right, that's what we do. It's disgusting. Ultimate case of projection. Just connected to this, another great piece by a former LAPD cop, Jack Dunphy, in National Review, The George Floyd Killing a Police Officer's View. It's a long article. It's worth reading. So first of all, he just talks about some of the systemic problem in policing, how they couldn't handle the riots, how so many of them, there's like, he, he doesn't say it directly, but implied affirmative action. Also just um, people being promoted that really, you know, the training is lacking. It's a whole problem and they couldn't control the riots. 
And then he goes on to, um, and I'm just saying the point is that it's just the opposite. It's just the opposite. This notion that police are, are too brutal, it's the opposite. 70% of them now are being a bunch of pussies. And it's the ones who are actually not excessive, but right, that are being treated as excessive and they're being arrested. So basically the incentive is just to be an idiot. I mean, why would you go the extra yard to protect public safety if there's no guts and glory? I mean, there's no incentive and there's only a disincentive. So he talks a lot about that and the stupidity of the kneeling and everything and the disgrace of it. It's a really good article. Now, he actually still is a cop in a, in a suburban area. He doesn't say which one. And he actually was involved in dealing with the riots. So he had a lot of firsthand information. I'm, I'm shocked he was able to publish this under his byline, but I'm glad he did. And then he goes on to discuss the actual case in Minneapolis. And he says... He basically goes through this and he says, the video, of course, is damning. There lies Floyd prone on the ground saying he can't breathe while bystanders shout, you're killing him. Through it all, an oddly expressionless Chauvin keeps his left knee firmly on Floyd's neck and Floyd did indeed die, as the world would soon learn. So it seemed criminal charges would be forthcoming after the thorough investigation this or any killing deserves. No such investigation has come close to completion, and yet Chauvin was arrested and charged within days, an obvious but futile attempt attempt to appease those calling for his head on a spike. They hoped to avoid a riot, but it's riots they got and then some. Now a narrative has been erected and universally adopted, one that brands Chauvin as a racist murderer and George Floyd as a martyr to the never-ending quest for social justice. And who would dare question this narrative with the video of Floyd's death as unambiguous as it is? But there are reasons to question it, and an honest search for truth demands that it be questioned. Again, folks, I'm just going to interject here. The search for truth. That's what we need to be about. But that's what the that's what the other side wants to stifle, because it's not about justice. It's not about, even about justice for blacks when, again, we shouldn't be singling out anyone. We need justice for whites, justice for everyone, justice for all Americans equally. But... On May 28th, three days after Floyd's death, there emerged the first hint that the narrative may have been too hastily constructed and that its foundation was less than solid. The Hennepin County Medical Examiner issued a press release citing preliminary results from George Floyd's autopsy, quote, the cause and manner of death is currently pending further testing and investigation. Well, this should have given a dispassionate observer pause. Surely one might have assumed an autopsy would have revealed evidence of the injuries Floyd had suffered and that no further testing and investigation should be required. The first bit of equivocation from the medical examiner went all but unnoticed in the media as the protests and rioting in Minneapolis grew larger and spread across the country. Later came another press release, this one containing more, but far from complete, details on why Floyd died. The cause of death was listed as cardiopulmonary arrest complicating law enforcement subdual restraint and neck compression. It went on to list other significant conditions, um, <clears throat> artist arteriosclerotic <laughs> and hypertensive uh, heart disease. As you can tell, I'm not a doctor. Fentanyl intoxication, recent meth- methamphetamine use. <clears throat> In other words, Floyd fit the description of what is known in the law as an eggshell victim. The doctrine of eggshell victim holds that a defendant is fully liable for injuries he inflicts on a plaintiff 
even if the plaintiff had a pre-existing condition that made him more susceptible of being injured. But for this doctrine to apply, it must be shown that the defendant was acting unlawfully when he caused the injury. This is where things get murky and begin to, to escape the confines of the narrative. There can be little argument that Floyd had been lawfully detained and arrested before he died. Police had been called after he was alleged to have paid for cigarettes with a counterfeit bill, a minor crime that nonetheless warranted his arrest. And again, folks, I just want to interject again here. Like, th- th- there's this narrative that, like, I-, I bet if you ask most of these young, unwashed hippies, like, running through the streets, if you would ask them what happened, they would think, like, a white supremacist cop decided one day he's just going to kill a black and just grab the black off the street. It was a store owner called him. Now, you might say, oh, you know, it was counterfeit. But, I mean, like, you know, that that's big to a store owner. That is a crime. And they do have the right. I mean, they have to come down to the scene. So what happened? They're like, oh, like, Daniel, this is not murder. This is some stupid counterfeit. And then it winds up with his foot on his neck and he died. But what happens if, I mean, lawfully, we have a country of laws. We have to deter um, things like counterfeiting. And what happens if the guy is massive and strong and on drugs and, and resists? Right? This happens every day. Again, it doesn't yet exonerate him that you know it's, it's going to be a pretty tough burden just morally to to you know justify why you know he was doing that for that long but still you know my point is not so much to exonerate him here it's just to say in 99.99 other cases which is what they're going after this is not about this case cuz they're getting swift justice probably over justice So there's nothing to complain about. They're making it about everything else. They're trying to, they want federal legislation, handcuffing police and letting out more criminals. That's what they want. But again, like I always say, the reason why you have these altercations between blacks and cops more than between whites and cops is because they're called onto the scene more because they commit more crime. You know, if you look at the FBI data where, you know, blacks commit, you know, five to 10 times more or, you know, even 15 times more violent crime than whites per capita. If you look at counterfeiting, if I remember correctly, it's also very much up there. Something like, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but, you know, blacks are 12% of the population. Maybe they account for 33% of the counterfeiting. So, I mean, like, oh, Daniel, that's a low-level crime. That's not the point. I'm not saying if someone gives a $20 fake bill, he should go to jail for 20 years. I'm not suggesting that, you know, like a, like a violent crime. But but what I am suggesting is that the store owner has the right to call the cops, and they did. It could have even been a black store owner. I don't know. You know, often it's going to be in those neighborhoods. And, you know, they, they have rights too, and the cops are going to come down. But these if, if they're on drugs, which they often are, they get extremely belligerent. Anyway, let's read on further. Let's read on further. Security video from local business suggests he resisted being placed in a police car after being handcuffed. The New York Times, the Washington Post have each assembled a video timeline of the events, but both leave open the question of how Floyd went from standing on the police car's left side one minute to lying face down on its right side the next. In the New York Times video, the narrator laments this gap in the public record. Quote, the widely circulated arrest videos don't paint the entire picture of what happened to George Floyd, she says. Additionally, video and audio from the body cameras of the key officers would reveal more about why the struggle began and how it escalated. Most people don't even know there was a struggle. 
Given the haste with which Chauvin was charged and the overwhelming media interest in the case, it is curious that the body camera footage has not been released. Could it be that it has been withheld because it does not bolster the case against the defendants? Police officers are authorized to use force to effect an arrest, overcome resistance, and prevent escape, and if Floyd acted as described in the criminal complaint in which Chauvin was originally charged, the officers were justified in using force against him, at least up to a point. In the complaint, the authors of which have been have seen the body camera footage, the prosecuting attorney concedes that Floyd resisted being placed in the police car. Quote, the officers made several attempts to get Floyd in the back seat from the driver's side. Mr. Floyd did not voluntarily get in the car and struggled with the officers by intentionally falling down, saying he was not going in the car and refusing to stand still. Mr. Floyd is over six feet tall and weighs more than 200 pounds. I thought he was closer to seven feet. The same document tells us that Floyd, even as he was still standing and resisting efforts to put him in the police car, was repeatedly saying he could not breathe despite clear evidence that he could. Police, and I'm glad I have a cop saying this because I said this yesterday. Police officers, but um, but few others know that I quote, I can't breathe is the universal complaint of the resisting arrestee. Police officers also know, as most others do not, that handcuffed suspects can fight and escape, especially when officers are confronted with hostile onlookers, which was the case here. So, folks, one thing it's almost certain that this wasn't racially motivated. Could have been brutal police brutality, but it's not racially motivated. That's number one. Two to three of the cops aren't aren't fully white. Number two, there's a question about, did he know him? Was there some sort of funny vendetta there? That is totally unsubstantiated, but almost like from his expression, it almost looked that way. A lot of people have said that from day one. There was something funny going on there. So if that's true, then this whole narrative really goes out the window. It really is an aberration. It has nothing to do with you know systemic police abuse. And then number three is taking the totality of evidence of what we know now, which is incomplete, but that's not my problem. It's them trying to stifle the truth. Put out the video. But from what we know constructing this and what we know is almost always the case with policing, could the following have happened? Could the following have happened? We don't, one thing we really don't know is how deeply and severely he was putting his knee on the guy's neck. Okay, so in other words, we know however much force it was there for a long time. And we know he was saying he can't breathe. And we know the onlookers were saying you're killing him. But we also know now from the charging document, the unamended one, that he was saying that before when clearly he was tussling with with them. We know they say it every freaking day. That's the standard line. It happened. See, all these drive-by people that suddenly become experts on something when the media shows them something, but they actually aren't and don't understand the issue. They do that all the time. So could it be that a seven-foot strong guy on meth was having a massive fight with them. And then, you know, they had to use a lot of force to get him down. And they had trouble keeping him down. So then finally, even when they kept him down, they they did it extra. 
but maybe it wasn't quite as lethal as you think. And the guy wouldn't have known to believe that I can't breathe because it indeed was BS to begin with. But ultimately, the main death was that he had a heart attack, not asphyxiation. And this we're going to have to, it's going to come out with the medical experts in the trial. It was a heart attack. He had severe hypertension and heart disease. And then the meth and fentanyl, we have to see what amounts he had. That alone could have been overdose material. You put that together, it could be in the cop's mind. He didn't think, the reason why he ignored everyone is because you have to understand, cops are forever in these neighborhoods, even when they are doing the most just work. So this is all tainted already. But let's say a case where a guy rapes a woman, and it's in a bad neighborhood, and they get him on the ground, and he's being violent as anything. They get surrounded by people chanting, you're killing him, you're a murderer, you're a murderer. Get off him, get off him. He can't breathe, he can't breathe. I don't know if this is the case. But but, but if you look at what they're putting together, you wonder if in his mind, it could be he didn't even think it was the level of lethal force. And indeed, it could be with others, had had he known about the condition and the drugs, it could be they wouldn't have died from it. You know, that it wasn't like quite a chokehold of, of the Eric Gardner case. You know, again, I mean, it's a very subtle thing when you have so, your knee on someone's neck. I know, Daniel, what do you mean? Tell, let me put my knee on your neck. I, I, I get it. But I'm saying there's, there's a difference between something that is totally fatal versus not. And the exact placement and weight you're putting on is going to make a huge difference. Um... Now, it could be he was a total animal, and he was doing it, and he did kill him. That could be. But from the evidence we have now, it could also very well be, and it would make a lot of sense and put a lot of things together, that it wasn't quite that level. It may or may not have been too abusive, but if you understand the context of how abusive Floyd was being, then it paints a little different picture then not listening to people saying you're killing him and not listening to him saying I can't breathe. See, this presents a very different picture. You have to understand how criminal arrests occur, the environment in which they occur, the things that criminals do to avoid arrest and to resist arrest and to play victim. It happens, the I can't breathe thing happens every day. And now it's gonna now, now they're really gonna do it. What are you supposed to do if you're a cop? Well, Daniel, don't don't do that to him. Well, well, what do you do? When you put on the cuffs, they say they can't breathe. Watch police videos. There's a lot of police shows. You'll see it all the time. I can't breathe when, when you're putting cuffs on them. Now, if they just amicably go up against the car without going to the ground and put their arms against their, their back, I mean, you don't get into this. But, folks, that's the minority of situations. I'm sorry to tell you. They're always saying, oh, we're arresting too many innocent people. Oh, it's BS. BS crimes. No, the reality is they're only going after really hardened criminals. And I'm sorry to tell you, this guy was a really bad dude. Armed robbery, pointed a gun on a pregnant woman's belly. Oh, Daniel, that was years ago. He became God's gift to the world and repented. Well, you know what? If you are trying to counterfeit a store owner and you had meth and fentanyl in you... Likely that was the tip of the iceberg. I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry, folks. I don't think he deserved to die. Of course not. Based on what he did, what we know. Although we, again, we don't know. We don't know if he died from this. We don't know. It could have been perfect circumstantial evidence that he says, I can't breathe. Everyone's saying you're killing him. He has his knee on it. The autopsy did not find crushed stuff or whatever. And he had that first autopsy, the preliminary, and then they kind of like changed things. But even then, they didn't cover their work good. Some Again, and I wasn't looking for this. I was willing to concede, throw the book at this guy. This guy killed him. I said that from day one. We all did. But then this stuff comes out. Do we care about the truth or not? Or is the narrative too, 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 too juicy and sexy to, uh, to destroy? I don't know. It could be anywhere in between. He fully killed him and almost meant to do it and was just ticked off and upset about the struggle. To he totally didn't die from it. It was just a coincidence that he had his thing on the neck, but it was just straight up a heart attack from what was going on. I mean, remember, keep in mind, what do you do if you're, let's just make it clear. This case of counterfeit, but but that doesn't matter. That, that That's not their job. I mean, they have to apprehend it. But let's say the guy is a, is a brutal rapist, okay? But he happens to also have a terrible heart condition, some pulmonary issues, diabetes, hypertension, and he's on uh, an array of, of, of drugs, lethal drugs. You understand if the guy rolls around on the floor in a way that he fights with you, nobody until this week ever uh, would, would, would say that cops don't have a right and a responsibility to do what they can to, to hold him down. But if you do have those conditions, I mean, it could very well be that, that the guy's going to wind up dying, but he killed himself. And that's what they're pointing at. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that is a possibility or it could be somewhere in between. That it was like 50-50, it contributed, it exacerbated it, and he did go too far for too long, too much force. That's going to come out. But again, riot first, ask questions later. Now look, we are more than 40 minutes into this, and I didn't even get to what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> Um, although we, we really did cover it, but I'm just going to cap it off with an article I have out today. It's going to be a very long article with an important chart in it um, that we, we all need to discuss. And that is the ultimate, the ultimate projection, the ultimate hypocrisy. When they talk about this is systemic racial injustice. Let me tell you something, folks. I'm here to tell you I agree. There is systemic racial injustice in our criminal justice system. There is racial disparity. And it's worse than even the elites think it is. Why the hell is nobody talking about the following racial disparity? According to CDC... The homicide rate for blacks, okay? Blacks are 13 times more likely to be a victim of homicide than whites, period. Why is there no discussion 
about that disparity, that racial injustice. Isn't that a pretty big number? Isn't that pretty important? Okay. Why is there no discussion about that? And the answer is because this is not about black lives, certainly not about white lives and all lives, which it should be about all lives. We know that, you know, no other races exist, obviously. I get that. This is not about protecting black lives. This is about political lives. You see, because if they did that, they would have to come up with, rather than anti-policing legislation, they would have to come up with anti-gang legislation. That is the true civil rights issue of our time. The gangs. The gangs that prey on black communities. See, here's the irony. See, if blacks would come, these black gang members, okay? See, remember, most people aren't criminals. Criminal element is a very small number of people doing the damage. Now, among them is a disproportionate share of blacks. All that does is ensure that the disproportionate share of peaceful blacks are now more harmed by the criminal blacks than anyone else. If those gang members, the Bloods and Crips, would be in the white liberal neighborhoods, believe me, you would have anti-gang legislation. So actually, they are the ones that are indifferent to their plight. They are the ones fomenting racial inequality and injustice in the system. And yes, my friends. This is the antecedent to the so-called disparity in police shootings. You see, they're running around saying, New York Times has this article out, Minneapolis police are seven times more likely to shoot blacks than whites. But what they don't talk about is that blacks are 12 to 13 times more likely, depending on the place, to be shot by and killed through homicide than whites. It's merely, it's like talking about second base without first base. It's the antecedent to the issue. Like we talked about with the Floyd case, police get called onto the scene of crime. If most crime is occurring in black neighborhoods among black criminals, well, A, most of the victims are going to be black, but B, that is where police interactions and involvement will be. Okay? So the 99.9% justified actions will be there, but therefore it's more likely that the 0.1%, whatever, you know, excessive force activity will more often be there as well. If you go and you solve the crime issue, which is mainly a gang issue, you protect black lives, you protect all lives, you solve the ultimate racial disparity of black homicide victims, which is not just a percentage. It's not just that there's a greater percentage of disparity in black homicides than, than policing, right? Because if you if you do the math, you adjust for the crime rates. Like, like we said from the U- University of Michigan, there's actually more of a disparity of white whites getting shot, just simply not because they're using excessive force, but they're using appropriate force. Whereas with blacks, more often than with whites, they're too scared because of what happens to enforce the law and say and protect their own lives and the lives of others. But it's not just the percentage, it's the raw numbers. Okay? Unarmed police shootings, again, unarmed is a loaded term because many times they're beating people physically, they're on drugs, they're ramming them with cars or whatever, 
um, or, you know, they think they have a gun. They appear to have a gun. Um, a police makes a split second decision. It's, 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 they're being violent. It's, it's a violent situation, right? It's not like they just, you know, just totally assuming, you know, the original narrative on, on this case or likely to a certain st- extent with Chauvin, right? Most of the cases are not like that. So they're, you're talking about literally a handful of cases a year. And most of them turn out to be justified. But what about the 7,400 blacks killed every year? No, no, we don't want to talk about that. We never, ever want to talk about that. So folks, I'm going to give you the data right here. I've mentioned some of it before, but I'm going to mention it again because you're not going to hear this elsewhere. Here's a list of criminal arrest charges by category of crime along with the percentage distribution of blacks arrested for those crimes in 2018. It's from the FBI's Uniform Crime Reporting. It is Table 43A. Okay? Now, I want to make it clear. So, the percentage black of black um, percentage of the pie of arrests for a given criminal offense is pretty much on target. For a few of them, I I just haven't finished doing the math. You could do it. The white and Latino, it gets very complicated because they do black and white, but then only like three quarters of the reporting departments that send info to the FBI break it down by Latino. So what happens is that when you look at black and white, so you'll see something like for murder, it's like 53% black, uh, 44% white, but it's not really because they're including Hispanics and white. Um, It's really, you're going to see it's more like in the 20s because... For most crimes, Hispanics also commit a disproportionate amount of crime, mainly, in my view, driven by illegal immigrants, as we've talked about on many, many shows and proved that with a lot of data. Um, But it's not quite as much as as blacks uh, as a percentage. Um, So the white share goes down even more. So the reason the only reason why I bring that up is just, again, to demonstrate What's dishonest when they give you the numbers of, oh, my gosh, we have this many, you know, shootings of blacks versus whites, you know, police shootings. But they're not looking at how many homicide shootings, volatile, violent situations are they called onto that will turn into a violent scuffle that will wind up getting involved in a police shooting and cause a police shooting, whether justified 99.9% of the time or unjustified in the 0.1% of the time. That is the thing. It's the same dishonesty. And notice the magical tactics, the optical illusions that they use. They use this on COVID too. Oh my gosh. The number of cases tested positive, positive cases have gone up in this state by 15%. But what they won't tell you is that the number of testing went up over the same time by 60%. So thereby, actually, the passivity went down. So it's the exact opposite narrative of what they're pushing. Same thing here. Oh, my gosh. There's more police shootings among blacks per capita than whites. Yeah, but there's even more, much more violent crime among blacks than whites. Sometimes by a 12, 13 to 1 margin... So, A, you're missing the fact that it's victimizing more blacks. What do, do those victims not matter? That's number one. And number two, your thing is BS because actually it's the opposite of what you're proving. If anything, per, per interaction with police, they're more likely to shoot a white suspect. And that is a fact. But anyway, I want you to understand the numbers here. My understanding of 2018 is... I'm pretty sure this is true, that blacks are 12% of the population, 
Hispanics are 12 or 17.1 and whites, I believe are something like 62.3 or 62.7 63. Maybe I don't have it in front of me. It's somewhere, somewhere there in that ballpark. Folks, murder and non-negligent manslaughter. Blacks, 12% of the population, right? 53.3% of the homicides. It's homicide suspects in 2018. Okay? Latino, Again, they're they're seventeen percent of the population, twenty point nine, still above their share, not nearly as much as blacks. Whites, remember, sixty three percent of the population, twenty three point two percent of the murder arrests. Folks, you, you look at that ratio; it winds up being like a ten to one ratio. So the, 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 it, it, they're literally taking the the greater white population and using it to prove their point. Oh, there's so many more whites, and you know, oh, look, 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 the numbers, you know, and there's where where are the police shootings? There should be so many more police shootings. No, but literally in raw numbers, in raw numbers, whites commit almost pretty much um, less than half, less than half. Whites commit, whites commit like like forty percent of the murders that black suspects commit even though they're five to six times larger in size. That's astounding. That, that This is the big lie that I'm, I'm not going to avoid it. I'm not going to run away from it. I'm not too scared to talk about this because it's the truth, because it harms everyone, and because, again, behind those numbers of 50, you know, blacks being responsible for 53.3% of the homicides is almost an equal share of the homicide victims are black. So by perpetuating these policies that cause more crime and ignore the gangbangers and don't lock them up and don't deter them, those are where you're talking about thousands of black lives. And I I just want to be very clear. Again, the Hispanic and white numbers are, I might be understating the white numbers by a few percent. The only reason I say that is just because I'm putting all of the Latino in other words, when they have a black and white, and then they have a separate Latino thing, and the numbers don't add up, and I, there, there's reasons for that. It has to do with the reporting. It's not equal. So I'm taking all of the Hispanic numbers and taking them out of the of the white numbers. There is something called a black Hispanic. Okay, just I mean Dominicans, but I, you know, I've because I, I follow immigration crime a lot, and I look at the charging documents. A lot of them are called white. I've very rarely seen a Hispanic listed as black. So I'm fairly confident I might be overstating very slightly the balance here between black and white, but it's pretty close. You know, so maybe if you want, you add two, three points on to make it slightly less exaggerated. Um, it's just it's just a lack of data. I, I don't have I don't know if there is a good black, white, Hispanic breakdown. Um, you know, there just there just isn't to my knowledge. Okay. Rape. Rape is a little bit less. Blacks are 12% of the population. Count for 28.6% of the rape uh, suspects. Um, whites are 26.7, so still less than blacks, even though they're much greater. 
Uh, no, I'm sorry. Whites are four. No, no, no. Whites are 41.4. Hispanics are 26.7, which is pretty high. If you noticed, much higher than their murder rate. They're 17 percent of the population. 26.7 percent of the rapes. That has a lot to do with uh, with you know the illegal immigrant sex offense problem that we talk about a lot. Um, that's where you see those numbers reflected in the FBI uniform crime data. I will note that if you look back in previous decades and years, the black share is much higher, more in line with, you know, closer to the rape, to the murder and robbery numbers. I, I suspect that has something to do with um, the FBI has changed their definition for rape um, and it's affected the numbers that the numbers have gone up dramatically. So just be careful. One thing you can no longer do is make um, extrapolations of. You know, typically you could look at a murder rate and say, all right, you know, 1990 it was this and 2020 it's this and it's apples and apples. You will see that rape has like exploded everywhere. It's not really true. They, they, they have a broader definition. I'm not really sure the science behind it or the math behind it. Um, although I will say some states like California do have good apples to apples comparison and you do see an increase in rape. Um, but in general, you can't rely on those numbers. But what that does tell me is it, it could be very likely that the real severe, like first degree random rapes are a lot more, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, committed by blacks even more than the the 28.6 percent would indicate. And certainly in terms of interracial, the black on white is certainly a lot more common than the other way around. Um, you go on to robbery, armed robbery. Blacks, 12% of the population, 54.2%. 54.2% of all robbery arrests. Again, this is what they're often called down to, and these are the things that often escalate into violent conflicts. Their armed robbers are very violent. Please come down. They run. They resist. They endanger. They shoot. Police wind up shooting them. Whites. 21%. Okay, again, there's 63% of the population, 21%. Hispanics, 17% of the population, 22.5% of robbery arrests. Let's do aggravated assault. Blacks, 12% of the population, account for 33.7% of aggravated assaults. Whites are 36.3. Hispanics, 25.6. For the rest, I didn't do the math on, on the rest of them, but I'll just go down and read to you um, for the for blacks. Burglary, blacks account for 29.4. Larceny, theft, 30. Motor vehicle, theft, 32.3. Um, other assaults, it's a big category, 32. And weapons offenses, 43.3. Again, folks, the, the, I, I'm not going to allow the lie to stand. I, I don't say this to say, oh, look, blacks commit all this crime. Let's go hang them. No, just the opposite. I, I say it, A, for the recognition that the racism charge is not true. If anything, it's the other way around. I say it B because blacks, even though a disproportionate amount of crime is committed by black criminals, but most blacks are not criminals and they are the victims of this. And number three, what it, it it's exculpatory evidence that when they want to say that, oh, they're involved in more per capita shootings with blacks than whites. Well, la-di-da. It's like saying I have more positive COVID cases because you know, this week than last week, because this week I had twice as much testing. That's where the uh, the, the frequency of, of occurrences of interactions with violent criminal incidents occur 
often called down through 911 calls by black victims. Damn it. Sick of the lies. Anyway, this is just the beginning of my article. There's a lot more there. Um, Folks, we need to be fearless. We need anti-gang legislation, not anti-police legislation. We need the full truth. Don't believe anything the media puts out, even if it kind of looks damning. You know, be careful what you say. I don't want to debunk something before we have the evidence, but understand there's usually more to the story. Um, We are living through the time of judging the judges. And that's all we can do. Have a terrific weekend. Stay safe, stay armed, stay knowledgeable, and stay principled.